looking at the Word of God and, and begin, get, digging into it, uh, these notes were put together, and I wanted to share it with you tonight. I've gone through it and reworked it, and of course turned it into something that you could, uh, there's some fill in the blank there for you to try and uh, help you, but you want to approach this group or segment, you understand that uh, the largest segment of our population falls into this. We know broad is the way that leads to destruction. It really is the majority of men in the world today uh, have no concern for their own soul. They, they, they have no thought of it. They, they, they joke and they mock God and, and they live their lives. They eat and drink and be merry. And, you know, the Bible says the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the fact of the matter is that's the largest uh, group of our population is those that believe there is no God and they have no concern for their own soul. And so you definitely somebody that you're going to come across and deal with them. And so how do you deal with them? Well, you deal with them the same way you will with somebody else with the word of God. It is the word of God that softens the hard heart. The scriptures will not return void. That begins to pierce to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. You want to be sure that you keep a good spirit yourself personally. Sometimes people that are hard hearted get belligerent. They get angry. They get offensive. They get uh, they get loud or obnoxious. Sometimes they say hurtful things. But as the one presenting the gospel, you want to be sure that you keep a right spirit about you. You want to continue to show the love of Christ. And, and regardless of how angry they get or even if they start cursing or whatever, uh, you just respond with kindness. And that will go a long way to uh, reaching their heart, even though they don't think they're being reached at all during that time. Don't allow yourself to show irritation uh, over their unconcern. Be kind, be patient with them. And then you want to use the word of God. And the first thing you want to do is you want to show them, show him the love of God. Show him the love of God. You show him that by your actions. But, you know, as, as independent Baptists, we like to talk about the judgment of God. And uh, we like to talk about the fact that their sin is going to be judged. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But the Bible is very clear that it's the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance. And, and they need to see the love of God. And, and, and that can, in a way that we don't even understand. And by the way, you might apply this to yourself when you're dealing with people. That it's the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance. So it might be our own goodness that it turns somebody around. I think the Bible says a soft answer turneth away wrath. And uh, so sometimes in our own dealings, we want to respond in kind or we want to deal maybe with our children and, and come down on them with a hammer because they stepped out of line. But what is it that's going to turn their heart? It might be the goodness. It might be that love that is shown, that grace and mercy that was extended when they knew they really didn't deserve it. That's what God does for us. And so it might be something that we would use even in other areas, but you want to show them that. The greatest verse in the Bible for this, of course, is the most well-known, and a lot of people, especially in America, know the verse, John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. So the greatest verse in the Bible for this, to show them that, and the nice thing is you can tell them, you, you probably know this verse, the, the, for God so loved, and they'll say, yeah, and you talk about the love of God, and that he loved the world, that he gave, that he gave his only begotten son. Another great verse for this 
is Isaiah 53, 5. And the, one of the reasons I put this all in print is because i got to move fast to get through it all. We're going to keep plugging along. You're going to think I'm Pastor Derek tonight, just <laughs> talking so fast and we're going to be just clicking. Uh, you know. But I hope if, because you have it in front of you, it won't be too laborious. But Isaiah 53, 5 But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was put upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. Man, beloved, reading that verse and and showing them what Christ did and how it was his suffering that he took upon him for us. One man, in in, uh, one soul winner, wrote about this passage of Scripture. He said, God used this passage one night to bring to tears and repentance one of the most stubborn and wayward young women I had ever dealt with. I had made almost no comment at all, simply read this passage to her, and it was as if the Spirit of God held up Christ before her eyes. Her Savior, she saw, was wounded for her transgression. She saw him hanging there, bruised for her iniquities, and her stubborn will was broken, and her heart gave way, and she gloriously accepted Christ as her Savior. Just by reading that verse... The, the acknowledgement, the scripture coming through and the truth of what Christ did for her broke through how hard she was. And so we want to show them the love of Christ. You, you also uh, could show the curse that Christ took for us is a very powerful way. Showing the curse that Christ took for us. And this is a combination of two verses, Galatians 3.13 and 1 Peter 2.24. The first verse here, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law by being made a curse for us. He was made a curse for us. How is that? For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. So Christ went and he hung on a tree for you. He took that curse and it tells us that in 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bare our sins and his body on a tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. So you talk to them about this, explaining the love of Christ and showing the love of Christ in your manner and in your heart and displaying that. And then you could conclude this idea of showing them the love of Christ, uh, the love of God, by stating that we've been looking here at the love of God. Now, what do you suppose the purpose God showed that love to us for? Why do you think it is that God displayed that love. Why do you think it is God extended that love? What is the purpose that he made this aware, us aware of this? And then in Romans chapter 2 and verse number 4, the verse I started with, he says, Or despisest thou the riches of the goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So understanding the love of God, then you could say, so when we see all that God did for us, what is that supposed to do? And then hopefully they'll say, well, it's supposed to lead us to repentance. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand that? See what, Seeing all that God did for us when we didn't deserve it should lead us to accept him. And if, if that is all we do. Um, so you might be able to stop there. Again, there's several approaches here, several different things. And I doubt when you're dealing with somebody, you will have an opportunity to go through all of this. But, you know, when you're... Dealing with somebody, um, especially extended family, and next Thursday night we're going to deal with uh, how to win your family to Christ. And so we're going to be talking about that next Thursday night. But when you're talking to somebody that maybe a friend or a coworker, you don't want to come back to them every time with the same verse and the same arguments and the same presentation. 
let those things settle in. And so one time when you're talking to them, just talk to them about the love of God. And then next time when you come back or next opportunity you have, maybe you would approach him with this second, second thing here, and that is to show them that he is a great sinner before God. They need to understand this, that, that they are a sinner. The, the best verse for this is Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. And uh, so, again, I've put questions in here because you want to, you, how many of you know that when somebody's listening to you that they can put their mind in neutral? They can list passively. <laughs> they, can, they, they can kind of uh, just, you could talk for 15 minutes and they probably couldn't tell you four or five things that you said. I mean, they just, they put their mind in neutral. So when you're dealing with somebody, you want to ask questions. This motivates them. This causes them to engage their brain and to think about what you said, to ponder that truth, and to give you an answer. So this, this also makes sure you know that they're listening. And so you'll see through this a lot of questions. I'll say, ask, 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 ask. And these are just ways to help you know that they're listening. So uh, start by asking him a question. Do you know that you are a great sinner before God? And of course, their response is going to be varied. You're going to have as many varied responses as there are people. Some will be like, oh yeah, <laughs> no question. I know I'm a sinner. Uh, want me to tell you what I do? No, you know, they don't have to share it. Uh, then other people will be like, what? no, I might be, I mean, I think I'm okay. I'm not that bad of a guy. And uh, so again, you're getting them to think. Their response is going to be uh, varied. Then you can ask them, do you think it's possible that you've broken the greatest commandment in the Bible? And you could ask them, you know, what do they think the greatest commandment is? Or what do you think the greatest sin is? And of course, when you ask them that, you're going to have a varied response. Some are going to say murder. Some will say adultery. I think those two probably would be the most prevalent answers that you receive. You might get some others, but those would be the two most greatest. And then you say, well, okay, um, what, let's see what the Bible says. And then you read to them, Matthew 22, verses 37 and 38. Jesus saith unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment. So you ask them, what is the first and great commandment? And if they didn't get it, again, you, the, the, the answer is in the scripture. And if they can't answer it, then you want to point to the scripture and say, well, what does the Bible say? And then they'll look at the Bible and they might have to read the verse again. Oh, it's to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And you say, okay, well, if that's the first and great commandment, then what's the first and great sin? That's to not love God. So you can ask them, have you put God first in everything? In all of your affections? In all of your thoughts? In all of your pleasures? In all of your business? In every part of your life? Well, maybe not. Then have you broken the first and great, greatest commandment? Well, then we're, we're guilty of it. We, we've all done that. We've all broken the first and greatest commandment. Another great verse that produces conviction of sin is Romans 14 and verse number 2. I'm sorry, verse number 12. He says, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Amen? Amen. We're going to give an account of ourselves. So that, another great verse to produce conviction of sin. That's what you want. You want the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to bring conviction to the heart of him. And so you present that to him. This will bring this careless man face to face with God. Face to face with God. Do you want them to see 
themselves as accountable to God. God is clearly stating that he is the one that they're going to have to give an account to. You can ask them, according to the Bible, who will have to give an account? And the answer, of course, according to the word of God, is every one of us. And you ask them, well, to whom do we give an account? We give an account to God. And then ask, and of what are you going to give an account? And the answer is, of myself, or the scripture says himself. Of ourselves, we're going to give an account of ourselves. And you want to ask them, let that sink in. Let that truth settle in your heart. Everyone's going to give an account of himself before God. Everyone's going to give an account of himself before God. And you know what? If you don't get to do anything else with him, if you don't get to go any further with him, and maybe they're, they're, they are belligerent and they're like, you know what? I don't want to hear that. But that truth will settle in their heart. And the next time that they're involved in sin, that truth will come back. Everyone's going to give an account of himself before God. And when they lay their head on the pillow at night and they're all by themselves in the quiet of the evening, they'll, they'll think of that. Every one of us is going to give an account of himself before God. That truth will settle down. You just say, let that settle in your heart, the fact that we're going to all have to give an account one day to God. And another great verse that produces conviction of sin is Romans uh, chapter 2, verse number 16. He says, in the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. There's coming a day, beloved, when God's going to judge the secrets of men. You can ask them, are you ready to have your secrets judged? How many of you know that uh, men have secrets? We know that everyone in this world has things they do not want to be revealed. They would not want other people to know. They would not want to contemplate to think about the fact that God is going to judge them for that. So just stating that and just saying, hey, are you ready? Do you think for God to to judge every secret you have? Uh, no, probably not. No, me either. But this is what the Bible says he's going to do. This can bring con- conviction, confronting him with the fact that he's a sinner and that we're all going to give an account of the things done in our body, whether they be good or bad. Second uh, Corinthians 5.10. And then you want to show him that there's consequences for sin. Obviously, that we're all that we're sinners, that he's guilty of being a sinner, uh, then there's consequences for sin. <laughs> Excuse me. So these two would kind of go together in, in an opportunity to deal with somebody. You're dealing with them and talking to them about, hey, uh, everybody's committed sin, and then say there's consequences for sin. A well-known and effective passage to show the consequences of sin, obviously, is Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. That, that first part right there. So you want to explain what a wage is. We talked about that briefly a minute ago in the introduction with our other passage of Scripture. Something that we earn. Amen. So what is the wage of sin? And ask them, what is the wage of sin then? Well, it's death. Now at this point you need to explain what death is. Uh, obviously there, there's three aspects of death that the Bible talks about. And I've listed these down here for you along with the scriptures that can go along with that. But there's the physical death. We're all going to die someday. I talk about that fact and usually will explain the fact that one day we're all going to die and physically going to die. And that's because sin entered the world. 
And you talk about Adam and Eve and how they sinned. And so death passed upon all men because all men have sinned. So there is the physical death. But then there's also the fact that we are all born spiritually dead. So we're spiritually dead. And we can only have spiritual life through Jesus Christ. And so this verse here in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2, and there's others that talk about being spiritually dead. But he says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Okay, obviously he's speaking to those that are alive. He's not talking about people who were physically dead. But he's talking about people who were dead, spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. Wherein in times past you walk according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So being spiritually dead. So there's a spiritual death that every man is born into spiritually dead and we need Jesus Christ to make us spiritually alive. And I've taught on that before, especially when dealing with the three aspects of man. And then we see the eternal death. And eternal death is described for us in Revelation 2.14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And you can describe this as separation from God forever and ever in an eternity in a place called hell. And then reinforce that with Revelation 21.8. But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and all murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire, which the lake, sorry, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So this is the second death. But the, the exciting thing is, the truth of the gospel, the joy of it is, is that we don't have to experience that second death. You don't have to go through that. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because of what you're sharing with them. And Revelation 2.11 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. You don't have to experience this second death. So you want to, again, you're explaining what death is, kind of a segment in there in the middle, and then going back to your text verse for the wages of sin is death. He says, and then you want to ask them, so what have you earned because you're a sinner? What have you earned because you're a sinner? And they would say death. And so what I've earned because I'm a sinner is death. And what I, what I deserve because I'm a sinner is to spend an eternity in a place called hell. If I'm going to pay for my sin myself, that's how I'm going to do it. The good news is, is that we don't have to. You can take them to the fact that God, talk to them about the fact that God has given them a choice. They can make this choice. There's a gift of God. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. They've got a choice between the wages that they've earned or the gift that God is offering. And they've got to choose. Another effective passage to show the consequences of sin is John 8, 34. He says, Jesus answering them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Now, so you ask again the questions here. What is uh, what is every one who commits sin? What are we? What, what, what is the person that, that commits sin? Who, what is it? And, and they say, well, a servant. They're a servant of sin. And you want to talk about that idea, that aspect. Well, who, who wants to be a servant? Who wants to be in bondage? Who wants to be uh, under something like that, this, this hard taskmaster? Nobody likes that derogatory or negative even connotation today and say, well, you wouldn't want to stay there. You wouldn't want to exist there as a servant of sin. You ask them, is that something you appreciate? Well, of course, their thought would be, no, I, I don't like that idea. And then you could say, well, would you rather be set free? We can be set free. John 8.32 says, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And you can reuse Romans 6.16 there as well if you'd like to. 
Um, then we see number four, again, uh, now those two things go together, and then these next two kind of go together, and that is that show them that unbelief is sin. That unbelief is sin. All right, we've been cranking along. You guys still awake? All right, engaged? Okay, very good. Um, so unbelief is sin. We want to see very few people realize that unbelief is sin. A lot of times people think about sin as sins of commission. That is sins they do, acts that they do, the sins that they participate in. But there are sins of omission as well. That's things we don't do that we're supposed to do. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth not, to him it is sin. So there's some things that we're supposed to do. If we don't do those, then that is sin. And here, just the act of unbelief is sin, and they need to understand that. John 3, verses 18 and 19, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and man love darkness rather than light, because their deeds are evil. So ask them, who is condemned already? Well, he that believe not. Ask them that they're to believe, believe on who? Believe, believe on who? You say, well, believe on the only begotten Son of God, which of course we know is Jesus Christ. And then ask how many that believed are not condemned? And the answer is everyone, all of them. So why do you suppose that this sin is such an awful sin in God's eyes? It's because his son is a light that came into this world and this world received him not. The world rejected him because they loved darkness more than they loved light. So to reject Christ is to reject what? Light. Is to reject light. If we reject light... We are choosing instead darkness. And we want to make that very clear to them. Very clear to them, understanding that just rejecting light is saying, okay, I'm choosing darkness. They don't want to do that. Nobody would in their right mind. Another passage for dealing with this is John 16, 8 and 9. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they believed not on me. Because they believed not on me. Um, let see here. I just want to make sure I'm on the right, that I'm getting everything that you guys are Alrighty, so um, you want to ask them of what sin is man reproved of? Of what sin is man reproved? Why a man is reproved for what sin? The sin of what? Unbelief. So man is reproved for the sin of unbelief. Um, and this again is such a great sin because it is man's rejection of God's son and choosing their own sin. It's deliberate choice of darkness rather than light. So show him that unbelief is sin, and then you want to show him that there's consequences for unbelief. Again, from the Bible, not just a matter of stating it, but that the Bible very clearly gives us many passages that deal with this. So I've got them here for you. First of all is Hebrews 11.6. 
but without faith it is impossible to please him. We know that. Ask them, what does God require if we're going to please him? Faith. God requires faith. If we're going to please him, that's what God requires. And what's going to happen to those who do not believe? It's given to us in Second uh, Thessalonians verses one. Uh, I'm sorry, chapter one, verse seven and eight and nine. He says, "And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance of them that know not God and that obeyed not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power." This is what happens to those that don't believe. Now, I skipped. Uh, my mind looking here. I, you want to you want to follow that with letter B there. You want to follow that with John eight twenty four. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am He, ye shall die in your sins. And so you ask them, what causes a man to die in his sins? Believing not. Believing not. That's what causes him to die in his sins. And then what happens if we believe not? Second Thessalonians 1, 7, and 9. I read those verses to you. And these verses clearly tell us that there's a day when Jesus is going to come and take vengeance upon all those that do not believe. And ask them, what, what is this vengeance? It's given to us in the verse. The vengeance is that they shall be punished with an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from his glory and for his power. That's very clearly stated in the verse. That's the vengeance. And who is it that's going to be punished? Those that knew not God nor obeyed this gospel. So if you choose not to believe today, there's consequences for unbelief. You want to state that clearly for them. And then you want to show him in the book of Revelation 21, verse number 8. We talked about this already, uh, the fearful and unbelieving, that all of them will have their place in the lake of fire, and which is the second death. And show them John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You want to show them that and ask, what does everyone who believes on the Son have? Everlasting life. Belief. Again, belief is the thing, the key thing here, belief. Uh, They have everlasting life. But on the other hand, uh, if one simply neglects to believe, what is the result? He shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So that's the result. If they just decide they don't want to believe, well, they're not going to have life. The wrath of God is going to abide on them right from the verse again. So lastly, this evening, and this is, again, one uh, segment that would be by itself, and that is just to show them that all one has to do is neglect this great salvation. Of course, Hebrews 2, verse number 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? It really is just a matter of neglecting. What does this verse tell us is all that's necessary to be done in order to be lost. What do you, what do you have to do to miss salvation? Just neglect it. You're going to miss salvation. All that you have to do is neglect it. It's there. It's available for you. Just neglect it. God has provided this great salvation for all. And you could even say to them that God has provided it. But not only that, God has presented it to you right now through me. So God has provided it through his son, but he's presenting it to you as an an option for you to choose. And all you have to do is accept it. But if you 
To miss salvation, all you have to do is, is neglect it. You see, you don't have to plunge into desperate vices. You don't have to become a, 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 a staunch atheist and stand against God and take a campaign against God and against his, his word to miss salvation. No, all you have to do is neglect the salvation that was offered. That's all that's necessary. Sometimes presenting them with that truth, I mean, people think, well, I'm okay. I'm, I'm not that bad. I'm actually a pretty good person. But they've neglected to accept or receive the salvation that's been offered. And they'll be faced with that fact like, oh, yeah, I, I've neglected that. I haven't received that. And that's all that's necessary to miss salvation. Still another passage to use with regards to this is Acts 13, uh, 38 and 39. He says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believed are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So this verse is clearly teaching us about Jesus Christ and that he was preached unto them and that through him man receives what? Forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins. And what does man have to do to obtain forgiveness? Believe. He just has to believe. And what blessing is bestowed on him who believes? He's justified of, from all things, it says. And of course, you can use that statement, justified is just as if I had never sinned. So Jesus Christ, this man that was preached unto you, is providing complete forgiveness for all your sins. Just as if you had never sinned, if you believe. But all you have to do to miss it is just neglect it. Neglect the salvation that's being offered to you. And of course, as I said, uh, this is not, the chances of you going through all this in one setting with somebody is pretty, pretty slim to zero. Uh, you know, it's just, these are little segments, little thoughts dealing with somebody that you might have opportunity to take one thought. And then next time you talk to them, you'd have an opportunity to take another one. Um, but if you have this in your repertoire of uh, tools, uh, as you're dealing with somebody, and maybe they, they in their own mind think, well, there's not, from talking to them, you realize they don't think there's a consequence for doing wrong. Or, or maybe, maybe they think, it's all right just to not believe in God or, you know, just these things. And the Lord will bring to your mind these truths that were shared tonight. And you'll have it down there on paper along with some talking points to maybe help you as you're dealing with or talking to somebody that is not uh, conscious of or has any concern for their own soul. Maybe these truths would settle in their heart and mind.